Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the moments that we share together. And Lord, as I pray so often, your word is already anointed. But would you anoint me as your vessel today to communicate your word in your heart to your people. Father, for it is the only thing that will change us. It is the only thing that is unchanging, that we can always count on and rely on, is your word in your heart. So Lord, anything of my own ideas, opinions, or cleverness, God, I just pray for them to be erased from my memory and from my notes, for I can't even trust those things. But your word remains today, a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. So Father, challenge us, transform us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. See, we prayed and revival broke out. Five more people showed up. Come on, somebody. So, you know, have you ever met somebody who just, you know, were very forthcoming that they had the gift of discernment? You ever met somebody who's just like, you know what, I just have the gift of discernment, right? You ever have those kind of people, maybe you're sitting next to that person this morning. You ever just wanted to smack that person, right? Because they just think that they are just more holy, more sanctified than you are, right? Well, well, Pastor, you know, I have the gift of discernment, and my discernment is telling me. I'm like, really? Did your discernment to tell you to wear that today? <laughs> okay. You know, like, that's some of the things in my flesh, right, my flesh. Those are the things that go through the filter. I've gotten better about learning, uh, thinking about what I say before I say it. I've gotten to a lot less trouble in 2020 than I have in years past, so... God's still working on me, right? But talking about, it's funny, I've, I've never met somebody who has said, like, you know, I don't have the gift of discernment. You know what I mean? Like, you'd have people who say, you know what, I don't have this gift, I may not have that gift. But you've never met somebody who's like, man, if there's one thing I don't have, it's the gift of discernment, right? Now, you may be able to look at their life and come to that conclusion, but discernment is he's saying and and here's what we what we think about in the word and discernment we, we hear about it you know um what is it first corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about the uh gifts of the spirit if you will and one of which is the gift the spiritual gift of discernment but most people actually misread first corinthians chapter 12 because it's actually saying those who are infilled with the holy spirit have access to all of these gifts are you with me if you didn't know that, here's, <laughs> you're learning something already. That's a good thing to write down right there. The first Corinthians chapter 12 is in the context of all of those who are infilled with the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? You can't even be saved without the Holy Spirit. So if you are a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, let me go ahead and newsflash for you. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, and therefore you possess the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Now, much like any gifts or any abilities, there are different strengths to gifts, right? Like all of us have biceps, but the biggest biceps in the room are Izzy G, wherever he is, right? You know what I mean? Like I, I've got a bicep as well, but I'm not maybe as strong in that muscle grouping as Izzy G, right? So all of us possess, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the gifting of discernment. But just like I can grow my muscles naturally, don't let this sweater fool you, you know what I'm saying? I know that black is a slimming color, but your boy's been in the gym, you know what I'm saying, right? So my muscles are getting bigger, just ask my wife, hey, come on somebody, all right. So just like my natural muscles can get larger, my spiritual muscles can as well, you know what I mean? Are you thankful for that, right? And so today I want to talk about the gift of discernment, but how to rather than grow in our gift of discernment, how to grow mature in our gifting of discernment, how to regain strength in our gifting of discernment. Now, I, I remember um, my childhood home, which just always just like 
grieves my heart when I drive past it because the people who bought that house from my, from my mom have trashed that home. Isn't that just like the worst? You know what I mean? Like you go and see a childhood place and it's just not the way that you left it. And you just want to smack whoever lives there or whoever did it, right? And I, I remember my childhood home that we li I lived in for the first 21 years of my life. And um, it was one of those homes that settled throughout the day, right? And if you've ever been in a house that settles throughout the day, especially at night, if you're at home in a house that settles, it sounds like there are people walking around the home, right? It's kind of slowly. You ever been in one of those houses before? Maybe your house is that way. We're at night or maybe at certain portions of the day or maybe when the weather's certain outside, your, your house creaks maybe a little bit or whatnot. And I remember when I was young and asleep in bed, I would think that there was somebody outside of my door because I would hear these little creaks and I'd get out of my bed and I'd open the door and I'd look down the hall and you know I think I, I grew up with three sisters that loved to torment me uh, and so I, I figured it was one of them getting ready to play the next prank on me. I, I actually remember there was a time where my parents were away and my oldest sister was at the home, uh, my two older sisters and I, my youngest sister wasn't born yet um, and the house began to settle and all three of us were convinced someone was in the house. To the point where my older sister got on the phone, called one of our um, associate pastors of the church and said, Troy, somebody is in the house. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning, wakes him up, someone is in the house, we're all locked in the room, you need to get here. Right? Never mind calling 911 or anything along those lines. Troy, who lives 15 minutes away, is going to come to our rescue of whoever is allegedly outside the door, right? You don't really think coherently or very well when you're sleep deprived. And so I remember she was so convinced that somebody was in her house, she was like, Troy, no, I'm serious, get here now. So Troy shows up in his t-shirt and underwear and with a shotgun in his hand, kicks open the door and just goes, whoosh, whoosh, you know, or whatever. And like, we don't know if it's Troy or the burglars have finally broken in or whatever it may be. But lo and behold, there was nobody in the home, right? Nobody was ever in the house, but there were many a times when we were younger, we, we were convinced. Now, being that I lived in a house that settled, creaked, make noise, things along those lines, I now feel like I've got the discernment of knowing when somebody is walking in the home and when the house is settling to the point when Lindsay, my wife, who is often just convinced somebody's in the house, uh, but now I'm like, no, it's just Danae downstairs, right? Uh, but, you know, uh, when there's, I remember in our old home, I, I used to be able to say, you know, in the middle of the night, Lindsay would be like, you hear that? Do you hear that? I'm like, babe, it's just the house settling. How do you know that? I'm like, because I've got years of experience and traumatized nights as a child of knowing when a house is settling and when there's somebody actually in the home. I have grown in my spiritual gifting of discernment. So just please close your eyes. Go back to sleep. And so right now what I want to talk about is literally as we've hit the halfway point once again in this month of prayer and fasting, I want to focus on discernment because right now there's a whole lot of us that are getting angry about things that are maybe getting our emotions kind of twisted about things that if we could rightly discern what's taking place it would no longer have a grip over our life it's as we're as have you ever realized that the more that you pray or maybe in the more that you fast the clearer you begin to think all of a sudden, you're going to be able to see things for, for what they are. Maybe you've got a, a, a clarity around maybe what God is doing or what God is saying. That's what God has actually given us, the, the weapon, if you will, of prayer, the weapon of fasting to literally bring clarity to what God is doing. Have you found that the more that you pray, the clearer you hear from God? Maybe the clearer that you can begin to see. 
It's, a, it's an advantage. It's a spiritual tool, if you will, that God has given us. We have to remember that fasting and prayer does not turn God on. It does not just be like, all right, now God's ready to move. But rather it gives us clarity to what God has already been doing. Are you with me? All right, good. I would think it would be a little louder in here. That's okay. So discernment. Now I want to talk first, before we get into some scripture this morning, I want to give you some parallels between discernment and suspicion. Discernment and suspicion. Those are two different things. Now oftentimes we call suspicion discernment because we're really spiritual, right? But discernment means I have the ability to see what is really going on. The Greek word for discernment is actually the word to separate, to divide. I can realize, okay, what's emotions and what's fact, right? What are symptoms versus sickness, okay? Discernment means to see what is really going on. Suspicion is believing the worst of something and thinking you can see what's really going on, right? They're similar, but they're different. I stole this from Pastor Brian Houston. I'm going to give you ten things, the difference between discernment and suspicion. If you want to write these things down, you can. If not, just at least smile at the pastor today, okay? So discernment is a spiritual gift. Suspicion is a human flaw, all right? Number one, discernment sees things. Suspicion fears. Discernment is able to sense things. Suspicion fears. Number two, discernment sees dangers. Suspicion sees ghosts. Sees what isn't there. Discernment, number three, discernment solves the problem. Suspicion creates the problem. Woo! You ever have somebody who is just like, they are fixated that they've seen something and they're really causing problems instead of fixing them? I can think of a few names. Okay, number four. Discernment makes decisions. Suspicion makes accusations. Do you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the room today? Okay. Some of y'all need to text somebody to come and listen to this message next service, okay? Pastor's got a word for you. Okay, number five. Discernment hears the Holy Spirit. Suspicion hears your own insecurities. Number six. I wish I could take credit for these. This is Brian Houston, the eagle himself, right? Number six. Discernment hears the tone. Suspicion Here's the words. Well, all the, all the husbands in the room, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. All right, number seven. Right, so when, she, when you ask her, are you okay? And she says, I'm fine. Right, y'all better know. You better cancel all your plans. She ain't fine. All right, and buckle up because you're going on a guilt trip. Okay, number seven. Number seven. Discernment saves disasters. Suspicion brings on the disaster. Number eight, discernment sees truth. Suspicion makes judgment. Ooh, buddy. Okay, number nine. I feel like I could just linger on a lot of these. Number nine, discernment protects the calm. Suspicion creates the storm. And number 10, discernment brings longevity. Suspicion brings brevity. Discernment is a spiritual gift. Remember that. Suspicion is a human flaw. You see, the apostle John urged the first century Christians to practice the spiritual gift of discernment because of how quickly they could be deceived if they weren't grounded in truth. 
Here's some Bible for you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Could you, it, it baffles me right now in, in the case of 2020 how much people are just believing everything that they hear without filtering it through any sort of truth, i.e. the Bible, i.e. what they know to be true. It's interesting how people are taking statements from people that contradict a life's worth of knowledge and replacing the two. He's saying, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test. Everybody say test. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many, not some, not most, not a few, but many false prophets have gone out into the world. Paul would pray the same thing. He would pray that believers would have be able to apply the spirit of discernment. Let me give you some more. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10 says this. And this is my prayer. What was Paul's prayer? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So Paul would say... His prayer is that you would abound, that you would have much, that your love would abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, that we may love people but be rooted in the word of God, right? How do I strengthen my discernment is the amount of, as the amount of word I have in me. Here's our problem is that we consume more social media and more news than we do word. And so we take what we hear through the filter of what we're the most full of. And frankly, right now, a lot of us are more full of external things than God's word. Are you with me? Woo, buddy. And if we're going to be leaders, we need to be making sure we've got word in us, we've got truth in us. Because the more truth I, I have, the more easily identifiable the lie is. Are you with me? This is crucial. Today, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he would say, look, here's some encouragement for you. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Thanks, Jesus. You're the best. So be as, here we go, shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Now the word snake here in the Greek is the word orphis. Sorry, ophis. My apologies. Not Orphis, but Ophis, my apologies. If we could just pause on the recording, that'd be great. Okay, and we're back. Okay, and that means sharpness of vision. Sharpness of vision. So shrewd means to be clever. So Jesus is saying that we need to be sharp and we need to be clever, but we also need to be harmless. Right? So he says we must be shrewd as snakes. In other words, we must be clever, we must be sharp, but we must still have the posture in our heart of being harmless as a dove. In other words, to have good motives, to have a pure heart, a right heart. So for us, if we're going to overcome, if we're going to continue to move forward, if we're going to continue to win in the world that we're in, we must be sharp, we must be clever, but we must maintain the right heart. Right? We must know truth. We must be able to identify the lie, but we must still remain with a soft heart. You've heard me say this before, this, this year especially, that right now it's very easy to see people's true colors. 
You heard me say early in quarantine that this time hasn't changed us. It's really just exposed us. We've been, had it, been able to see more clearly now in the mirror than ever before. And maybe you've looked over. Have people disappointed you in this season? Or am I the only one? Okay. Three honest people in the room. All right, that's good. People disappointed you in this season because you thought they were one way, but this season has shown their true colors of who they really are. How much they really maybe care about you, what they really believe. You've been able to identify what was just all smoke and mirrors versus what is true to be about them. This is this time. This has, this has been the, the time of being able to really see where people are, where people's devotion is, where their heart really is, the things that really matter. Has, has this season maybe caused you to reshift and prioritize the things that really matter? When everything else maybe was taken away from you, when, when maybe things that would normally distract you or pull you away from what really matters? I tell you, it took, you know, a sad thing in our family was it took a global pandemic for us to have family dinner together, all sitting at the same table. Because what we built in our home out of the area of convenience in our house was this nice, large kitchen island so that we could feed the kids there, you know, and especially in the morning. But it turned into, it wasn't just there for breakfast and the kids in the morning, but it was also lunch. It was also dinner. And it took a global pandemic for us to realize, when was the last time we sat down as a family at the dinner table and ate a meal together. It's interesting to see how this season has brought things in perspective, but it's also exposed who we really are and who people really are to us. Maybe in this season you've been let down by many of people. Maybe you've been surprised by people's actions or people's words or things along those lines in this season. But now when I think about the climate that we're in, not just in church life, but just in the world right now, the, the climate that we're in, in an election season, this is why I believe discernment is something we must talk about. We must learn how to grow in. So I'm going to give you just a few principles, a few principles of discernment. How do we grow? How do we strengthen our discernment in this time? Are you still with me? The first principle of discernment is remembering we do not fight against flesh and blood. But what we are really fighting is in the spiritual realm. If you don't know that first and foremost, you're going to hurt a lot of people. You're going to hurt a lot of people that Jesus died for, that Jesus loves. He didn't say, for God so loved the church that he gave his only son. He said, God so loved the world. All throughout scripture, it doesn't talk about Jesus hating anybody, but he does talk about the demonic. He does talk about spirits. He does often, he always was pointing people to, right, he, I'll never, you know, one of the things that Pastor Andy Smith had shared um, recently was talking about Jesus' final prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and how when he went away in this time of prayer, he had Peter, James, and John with him, right, and they were there and they were invited to really what you could argue was the most powerful prayer meeting in the world, right? There Jesus was, on his face, if you will, sweating like drops of blood, Peter, James, and John with him. And the first interaction, they both were all, they were all a part of the same prayer meeting. And the first interaction that takes place out of that prayer meeting was these soldiers coming to what? To arrest Jesus and take him away. What was Peter's response? Peter's response just came out of the Holy of Holies. Homie grabbed a sword and cut off somebody's ear. Assuming that their wrestle was against Flesh and blood. So that's why if Peter can be a part of a prayer meeting with Jesus in the flesh and get it wrong, 
What makes you think you can? Whose ears are you chopping off? All, and, and you think it's a worthy cause. And you've justified it to yourself. And you've justified it to others. And maybe you've even got a cheering section about the amount of damage and personal damage that you've done to people. Ooh, buddy's getting quiet in this church today. Okay. It's, it's maybe to, to even other onlookers would be like, yeah, way to just hold up the worthy cause. And what did Jesus do? Pick the ear. I can just imagine. He was probably looking at Peter the whole time when he picked the ear up. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Everything I've taught you and you're still chopping off ears and you're still attacking people and you're still wounding people, and you're still making this a personal, a personal fight. Peter, come on, we, we, should be, we should grow past this. When is the church going to grow past turf wars? When is the church going to grow past personal vendettas? When, a pers when, are, when is the church going to grow past personal division because of pain in our lives? We have to know the, the first principle of discernment is remembering at all times. That's why two weeks ago I, I preached that message on what? Pray first. Before whatever you do, if you just pray first, you'll maybe get up out of your feelings for a moment and get a heavenly perspective of what's really going on. So the first principle of discernment is realizing I don't fight against flesh and blood. What I'm facing right now, what we're in right now is a spiritual fight. A spiritual fight. This is what is taking, so we must recognize what's happening in the spiritual world. What's happening even right now in our country. It's not a fight between liberals and conservatives. It's not a fight between the left and the right, Republicans or Democrats. It's the spirit of a world that is trying to destroy our nation. How many of you know, I said this a couple weeks ago, that there is a fight for America's soul right now. You can feel that like never before. Why? Why is the devil trying to destroy America? Why is America right now under the assault that it's under? Well, I believe it's because of the freedom that we have in our nation. I believe how, about how God has used America instrumentally in the area of the gospel. But listen, the Bible says don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And I believe right now, what are you seeing? You're not seeing America crumble because of oppression outside of our country, but rather, how do I attack something that's strong is not from the outside, but rather from the inside. Divide and conquer. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Right now, you're seeing America crumble America. You're not seeing it come because of some terrorist attack from the outside or things along those lines, but you're seeing it crumble from the inside. And I believe one of the ways that it has seeped into our culture. Even more prevalent, I believe, in America. Now, that may be a biased statement because that's the context that I could say this from. I've never lived in another country before, but I'm sure this happens. But what was the, that original sin in the garden? The original sin in the garden was a snake lying to man, lying to woman. I believe what has weaved its way and is the bedrock of what is pulling our country apart right now is deception through lying. Right? Every, it just makes me scratch my head every time, especially right now in the political climate that we're in, and, you know, the debates happen. And what's the first thing they release after the debates? What was said that was true and what was a lie? 
But you know what's sad is that millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people watch the debate, but only a handful read the fact checker. And so what does that mean? That means that the majority of people in our country who are making decisions about the future of our country, i.e. voting, are taking everything at face value without putting it through the filter of truth. Therefore are being deceived and therefore we are seeing our nation ultimately on polar opposite ends of the spectrum at odds like we've never been before. And it's all what? It's foundationally come in through lying. Lying, I believe, is the great curse of the 21st century. Because, here we go, lying is not really considered a sin anymore by most people. Christians lie as much as unbelievers. And we do it all in the name of protecting something or someone. Once again, we put it through the filter of some sort of righteous heart that we have. And so lying, ultimately, I believe, isn't even considered a sin anymore. Most of us lie multiple times a day to the people who are the closest to us. But it's at the root of almost all sin. Here's what happens when we lie. Are you still with me? Are you getting anything out of this? Okay, it's good. There we go. You guys are slow, but you're worth the wait. Okay, here's what happens when we lie. First thing that happens is that trust leaves. When somebody lies to you, what's the first thing that you feel is all of a sudden you don't trust them as much as you used to. Even people who are closest to you, right? When you're caught in a lie, whoo, that's even worse, right? I had this guilty conscience as a kid. My, my parents caught my sisters doing everything, um, but, but they never caught me doing anything because I just had this guilty conscience all the time. I was like, Mom, I'm so sorry. I'll never forget one day I came home. Um, I came home from school and... I'll never forget this. I think it's because it traumatized me so bad. You remember all the details. Uh, I walked in, and we had this little, um, little breakfast bar, if you will, in our kitchen. And I went and I sat up, and there were uh, pretzels that were laid out. I'm like, I'm going to go for some pretzels right now. And we used to, uh, this was before, like, flat screen TVs and all the craziness. So we had this giant bubble TV on the kitchen counter, right? And Oprah was there. So I'm sitting there, and I'm eating, I'm eating pretzels and watching Oprah. You know what I mean? Like, it was just whatever was left on the counter at that moment. And I noticed over my shoulder my mom's wallet was laying out. And I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. And there was a receipt that was lying out. I'm like, oh, that's kind of odd. Now, keep in mind, this was uh, around Christmas time. And so I would just mosey on over and just take a peek at, um, you know, a, a peek at the receipt. And it is literally the receipt of her buying everything that was on my Christmas list that year, right? And it's like this thing as a kid uh, of like when you get your eyes on something you're not supposed to be looking at, but for some reason you can't look away, you know what I mean? So I was just like reading everything on the list, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play it cool. I'm just going to put it back together. I'm just going to put it, I'm just going to pretend, I'm just going to leave, right? You know, like where were the pretzels laying? No, Oprah, don't say that, you know, like, and I was out of there. And, man, buddy, I didn't make it 20 minutes where I was like, Mom, I got to tell you something, right? And I just told all on myself, right? You know what I mean? And she looked at me, she goes, you know, I'm going to have to take back everything that was on there because she saw it. And I was like, and I'm getting punished for telling the truth. Like, this is for the birds. You know what I mean? Like, I was mad, man. I was mad. Now, my mom ended up not taking any of it back or whatever. But, you know, but that was just me, right? Because I, I, never, I never wanted my parents not to trust me. I, I just always had this weird twitch in me as a child. And the thing about when we're lied to, right, ultimately what happens, trust goes. And when we lose trust, the more untrusting we become, the, the, what ends up happening is the more selfish we become. 
right? So when trust leaves, selfishness comes. And when selfishness comes, then, here's a big word for you, tribalism emerges. What does that mean? That means I only trust people who are like me. Then they look like me, act like me. All of a sudden, everybody around me is just another version of me, right? This makes sense. I only trust, if I only trust me, then the next person I trust is the person who's the most like the person I trust, which is me. And then ultimately, this is why Christians usually trust each other more than they do people in the world. Trust comes from being on the same page and in agreement. This is what takes place. So we must remember, our, the first principle of discernment is realizing, listen, I, I do not fight against flesh and blood, but this is a spiritual battle. i got to speed up here. Spiritual battle that takes place in our lives. So what do we know? We, all, we know that the devil ultimately wants to destroy our reputation. He ultimately wants to isolate us. He wants us to feel helpless, right? He wants you to feel like a failure. He wants you to feel like there's no way out. You know what my heart has broken in this season? Of, you've heard me say this before. The most deadly thing about 2020 was not the global pandemic. It was the isolation that took place for people left alone to their thoughts, right? Mental health lines, phone calls went up over 800% in the first six weeks of lockdown, right? So people who are already struggling in those areas, this season is nothing but intensify it, right? I'm talking to literally this week, I talked to three different pastors in three different states, good friends of mine that I've just been reconnecting with over this time, who have all said, I have almost quit and walked away from the ministry in the last six months, right? And identify, why? Because ultimately something got in their mind and they were left to ruminate on it, just alone in their thoughts. Like, why didn't you pick up the phone and call me? Why? Because we don't think coherently when we're under those type of attacks, right? So we've got to understand there's a spiritual battle that is taking place, right? So, ugh, I, wonder, I wonder if I've got time to get into this. You know what? I'm going to skip it. Stay for second service and I'll maybe get to that note. But I've got three, three characters to try to, to, to weasel in your life in this time. Um, but I'm, I just, if I get to it, I'm not going to be able to get to the other stuff. So, first thing, first principle, first principle is, once again, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual battle that's taking place. The second way of discernment, principle of discernment, is humility. Humility. You've heard me say this maybe before, and my favorite quote that I've heard in 2020 is, God's plan A is humility. God's plan B is humiliation. God's plan A is humility. God's plan B is humiliation. Meaning God will give you every opportunity to humble yourself, but eventually he will humble you to save you. Ooh, I could just like, let, let's just close our heads and pray right there, right? It's only once you humble yourself that you're able, able to correctly discern. Right, the posture of humility, right? It's realizing I never think that I'm better than someone else. I always adopt the posture of I could be wrong. So let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what God's word says, right? I had a dose of humility and an argument with Pastor Mark this week, right? You know, and I just, it was a very quick moment of, uh, right, I don't know as much as I think I do, right? He questioned me on something Apple, and I was like, I know I've got him, right? I figured if there's one way I've got Mark, it's in Apple technology. I worked there for three years. I literally said the statement when he made it, this comment. I said, of all the people in the room right now, you really want to question me on this? That's what I said. I should have known when I said that. It was just the end of the world. So he took great joy in proving me wrong. 
um, there, and so I just had a dose of humility. I was humiliated right there. I was humbled in front of some of my closest friends. Okay, so but never mind. Can't look any of them in the eye anymore, and now none of them ask me any Apple questions. But so maybe it was a blessing in disguise, right? I don't know. Uh, but so the second principle of of discernment is humility, right? It's humbling myself. It's realizing, listen, I, I may not know, so let me go back to truth. Let me go back to what I know. Let me dig deeper in the word. Number three, are you tracking with me still? Darian, you can come join me, buddy, on the stage when, when you hear me. Uh, number three is this, relationship with spiritual leadership. Relationship with spiritual leadership. Here's what I've found. We seek advice a lot of times from all the wrong people. We seek counsel from a lot of the wrong people. Here's, I'll never forget one of the best things my dad ever told me. Is he said, yes, son, scripture does say that there is safety in a multitude of counselors, but you must know that not all counsel is godly counsel. Right? There's still a filter of God's word that I must bring it through. Right? Somebody gives you counsel in your life that contradicts what you know to be true about the word of God. Can I tell you something? That's not godly counsel. And at times, that can come from allegedly godly people, which is why you must have truth in you that even some of the closest, you can be deceived the greatest by the relationships that are, we are the most vulnerable and close to. There's a story of Samson and Delilah, right? Samson had great strength. Samson was ordained by God, ultimately leading, setting a people free. But he got counsel from somebody he was the most vulnerable and close to who deceived him, but it was his love and affection, it was this nurturing nature of Delilah that ultimately sowed in deceit into him that cost him some of the greatest things that God still had for his life. And so a relationship with spiritual leadership, I bounce all my discernment off people of discernment, from people with a gift of discernment. So in other words, the day that I receive information that puts a check in my spirit, right? Once again, going back to the first thing we said, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts of the spirit. Therefore, all who are filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit as a child of God, as, as a Christian. And so if there's something that disturbs my spirit, that is not my spidey sense to think I've got it figured out. That is my check to go, I need to talk to somebody who is more spiritually wise than I am, who is my spiritual covering and leadership and bounce it off. I did that this week. I called my mentor, pre-influencers, pre-everything, right? She know me from the time I was in diapers. And I had a situation that came up in the last few weeks that grieved my spirit, but I still didn't trust myself. And oftentimes, we will take just what emotion comes out of us as the thing. Okay, well, then it must be all wrong. It must be all wrong. So I called him. I said, hey, I, I need to run something by you. I think I've got it figured out, but it's pulled an emotion in me that I don't want to trust my emotions. I need an unbiased third party. I need to, I need to tell you what's going on, and I, I need you to just hear me out and tell me, am I caught up in my feelings? It, am, I, am I interpreting this the right way? Right? Because then hearing, he brought a whole level of perspective that was not even registering in my mind. And I knew I wasn't seeing clearly. I'm thankful for those type of relationships. You need to find those type of relationships in your life. If you're the smartest person in the room all the time, you are in the wrong room. 
you need to have somebody who is pouring into your life. It's not on a, I don't talk to him every day. I don't talk to him every week. I don't even talk to him every month. That's the second time I've talked to him all year. But I know I've got somebody that when big stuff comes up, somebody I can talk to that's out of my sphere of influence, that aren't my, you know, there's some things I can talk to my parents about. There's other things I can't talk to my parents about. Come on, are you with me right there? Sheesh. Okay, that's why the Bible says don't despise prophecy, but to test it. Right? When you're having a prophetic word spoken over your life, I feel like, ooh, I got a prophetic word. It's all going to come to pass. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that challenges the theology right there. Maybe. The Bible says put prophecy to the test. Discern it. There have been things that have been spoken over my life that I'm like, I think you got the wrong guy. And guess what? They did. <laughs> put it to the test though are you with me number four principles of discernment prayer once again my heart anytime we go through concentrated seasons of prayer of corporate prayer just like we're going to be bringing uh well i said to you this i said i said that to you this morning we're going to be bringing prayer on a regular basis prayer gatherings on a monthly basis here to the campus hopefully going to expand that even more uh, in the future. But my prayer, yeah, something supernatural happens when we corporately come together and pray. But ultimately, I'm praying that it births a hunger in you to pray. Yeah, there's something special when you're in a room of people who are praying in the same direction, linking arms, standing together. But ultimately, to, to learn what it means to pray without ceasing, to never stop praying, 1 Thessalonians says, right? Praying continually. Right, how much, well, we talked about this two weeks ago. The disciples could have asked Jesus anything. And the question they asked him was, how do you pray? Have we been able to formulate everything that you do down to one secret, and it's prayer? We shouldn't do it if we haven't first prayed about it. Learning what it means to war, war in prayer, warfare, prayer, intercession, praying without ceasing. I got to speed up. Number five, this is the last one have nothing to do with the things of darkness. Notice I use the word have nothing to do. Truth be told, Christians like their darkness in moderation. Yee! Bible says that we're in the world, not of the world. He didn't say we're in the world and we're kind of like them, but mostly not. He says we're in it, we're not of it having nothing to do, not having my darkness in moderation. Ooh, pastor, you think you're more spiritual? No, I just know, the Bible says, don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. I never got so, like, cautious about the things in my house until I had children. I don't know what it was, but when my kids were, I was just like, y'all heard me say it the other day. Something was playing up in their bedroom on the Alexa. I popped in there, I'm like, what are y'all listening to? It's like, ooh, I'm so bad. And I'm like, but I better say, but now I'm so good because Jesus' blood has saved me. You're like, that better be the next lyric in that line. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 11 in the Amplified. So no need to turn up your hearing aids on this one. Verse 8 says this, for once you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, live as those who are native born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn by experience 
what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyles be examples of what is most acceptable to Him. Your behavior expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. Do not participate in the, watch this, worthless and unproductive deeds of darkness, but instead expose them by exemplifying personal integrity, moral courage, and godly character. In other words, you choosing to not engage is a testimony and example in and of itself to the people around you. Right? I'm learning, one of the things I'm learning in my parenting right now is not just telling my parents, not just telling my kids we don't do that, but telling them why we don't. Because I'm not always going to be there. So I need to train my children to be able to discern, but they must know truth. They must know why. 1 Timothy 4.1 tells us this, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things, watch this, taught by demons. In latter times, some will abandon the faith. Therefore, we're encouraged to do this in Colossians 1 and 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental, excuse me, spiritual forces of this world, rather than Christ rather than Christ. So how do we grow? What are the principles of our discernment? Well, first and foremost, we got to remember, we don't fight. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we are fighting spiritually. This is a spiritual battle that we are in. We must maintain a posture of humility. The second thing, the third thing is our relationship with spiritual leadership in our lives. Number four is prayer. Praying without ceasing. Number five, having nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. Having nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. How do I grow? And I, man, I've got the gift of discernment. Congratulations. So do all of us. But how strong is your gift? Just like I can grow in the natural, in my muscles and those things, all of us have the same makeup the same thing happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll read it back. talks about that being filled with the Spirit means that in you is the gift of prophecy. In you is the gift of faith. In you is the gift of discerning spirits. In you are these gifts. And the way that we grow, this is a testimony in and of myself, and I'll close with this. You heard me share about this, I think, earlier in the year that I've always wanted to be able to prophesy. Always. I just always thought it was cool. Somebody would get up and be like, I see this on your life. And I'm like, I want to do that. And I prayed for that gift and God never gave it. Because I really just wanted to be the guy. My heart really wasn't for the people on the other end. It was just to be the guy that had the word. When my prayer changed, saying, God, anything that you can do in me to make other people know that you're real. Any way that you can speak through me to give people hope in their life that want to give up. God, if that means prophesying, ooh, I'd, then I'll prophesy. God, if that means laying hands on the sick, then by all means, I'll lay hands on the sick. 
that means just getting up and declaring your goodness, man, I'll get up. If that means just standing there and being just a constant presence, I'll stand there. God, if there, you know, there's an old song my dad used to sing, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Touch my hands, my feet, touch my heart, Lord. Speak to me. If there's anything you can do. And when I just say, God, so that others may live, so that, so that other people can come to find you. And I don't even know the day that it happened. It was just like a light went off. And God just, I felt like just nodded from heaven one day and said, start prophesying what I show you. All right, let's do this. <laughs> It's one of those gifts, just like discernment. It's listed in that same passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those of us who are filled with the Spirit. So yeah, you've got the gift, but this is something that we must work on. We must learn to be able to discern the days. We must be able to see what's happening in the spiritual realm, looking past what we can see in the natural, just like we were praying about earlier today. Did you get anything out of this message this morning? Come on, can we just pray over God's Word today before we close? Father, we thank you for your word. God, it strengthens us. The way that we grow in our discernment is getting more truth inside of us. It's filling ourselves with your truth, your word, your voice. Consuming more word than we do news, social media, other outlets of opinions that ultimately don't bring any eternal value to us. God, I pray that you would make us a people who hunger for your presence that have an appetite and hunger for your word, an appetite and a hunger for prayer. God, that we would maintain in the posture of humility, that we would keep our hearts right in knowing that we wrestle not, we fight not against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual fight that's going on. God, that we would be people of great discernment, learning how to discern the days that we're living in. Because not just our eternities hang in the balance, but the eternities of people that you've placed under our influence. God, we need you now more than ever before. With news that's swirling, with gossip taking place, with all the unrest that is happening in so many of our lives right now. God, we need to be able to see you clearly through the chaos. So like... David would say, I put my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? And help, it does not come from Capitol Hill. It does not come from a White House. It does not come from any other political or relational agenda. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God, today we refix our eyes upon you in the midst of all the turmoil and chaos. Our eyes are fixed. We just pray, would you make us a people of discernment? Would you make us a people? To be able to see what you see. Not to see things as they are, but see them as you see them. Seeing them as they could be. We thank you for your word. May it change us. May it transform us. In Jesus' name.